Hello and welcome to Mr. President from otrgold.com. This episode will begin after a brief message from our sponsors. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I have taken a step which I believed was right, and I intend to abide by it. I don't want to see this government relapse into a despotism. I have battled for the rights and liberties of the people, and I am now endeavoring to defend them from arbitrary power. Mr. President, starring Metro-Goldwyn-Mayer's Edward Arnold. (laughs) Mr. President, at home in the White House, the elected leader of our people, our fellow citizen and neighbor... These are little-known stories of the men who've lived in the White House. Dramatic, exciting events in their lives that you and I so rarely hear. True human stories of Mr. President. Before we bring you Edward Arnold as Mr. President, I want to point out that there are no more stirring stories in the world than the stories of Americans who have become the leaders of our country. Generation after generation of American men and women have found their greatest inspiration in the lives of the presidents of the United States. Their deeds are direction pointers for the American mind. And people today are more interested than ever to know the intimate, interesting, and inspiring facts about the lives of their former chief executives. That's why Mr. President has rapidly caught the attention of people everywhere. For here is the program that presents human, intimate anecdotes and incidents in the careers of our presidents, woven into the rich tapestry that is the American heritage. And you, as the listener, enjoy the additional thrill of trying to identify the president and the story being told. So test your knowledge of the men who have lived in the White House by listening now for today's fascinating Mr. President story. Now, in just a moment, Edward Arnold. incidents I have in mind today tell the story of a president and one of the most startling political events in Washington history. Later on, of course, I'll tell you which president this happened to. But meanwhile, you may be able to guess. He walked about his wife's room, restless, unhappy, angry, and in torment. My dear, it isn't going to help any to keep charging up and down like a caged lion. They had no right to pass the Tenure of Office Act. It's unconstitutional. The idea of daring to pass an act that a president has Senate. Well, you didn't pay any attention to it. As, as soon as Congress disbanded, you discharged Stanton and appointed the general of the Army Secretary of War. They only passed the law to force me to keep Stanton in office. If Congress put a little more thought to the good of the country instead of the good of Edwin Stanton, we'd all be better off. But no, 
The radicals in Congress are buttering up Stanton, and Stanton's buttering up the radicals, and they're all so greasy, I can't get a kick grip on them. Well, Congress is reconvening now. We'll soon find out what their attitude is about the discharge of Mr. Stanton. I know what their attitude will be. After all, I have openly defied them. Oh, it's the attitude of the temporary Secretary of War I'm concerned about. What do you mean? Well, I've been advised that uh, Stanton and uh, Congress are going to reconvene. Mr. Stanton intends to reclaim his office. Whether he is able to do so depends on the temporary Secretary of War. If he'll do what I ask, I think we can get this whole issue into the courts. I don't want a ruling from Congress. I want a ruling for the courts. When are you seeing the general? This afternoon. Surely he'll do as he's asked. We shall see. We shall see. General, I've asked you to come here today because I need your support. Congress is reconvening, and I am told that Stanton intends to take... I heard... General, uh, you must refuse to permit Stanton to take over the War Department. Oh, sir, I accepted the office only ad interim on a temporary basis. General... If you refuse to give up the office, the case will go to court. And the constitutionality of the whole tenure of office law will be decided there. That's what I want. Oh, I see. <clears throat> well, I would like a little time to think the matter over, Mr. President. All right. Then in the meantime, will you give me this assurance? That either you will remain at the head of the War Department until the courts can give a ruling on the matter, or that you will return the office to me prior to a decision by the Senate so that I may appoint someone else in your place. Uh, you want time to put someone else in before the Senate makes a ruling? Yes, yes. Uh, well, I certainly will give you my word on that, sir. But as to which of the two courses you leave open to me, well, that will take a good deal of thought. Uh, I must have your answer the first thing Monday morning. Well, I'll see that you have it, Mr. President. Thank good you. afternoon, General. How nice to see you. Oh, good afternoon, Eliza. How are you feeling? Better today, thank you. I'm glad to hear it. <clears throat> I have an appointment. Uh, good day. Good afternoon. Goodbye, General. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm, yes. It's hard to tell which way the wind blows there. He's an ambitious man. He wants to be the next president. Will a man like that side with the Congress or the president? Well, we shall soon have the answer, huh? I'm sure that the Senate will adopt a resolution on Monday to the effect that they do not concur in my suspension of Edward M. Stanton. They will notify the general to that effect and ask him to vacate the office. All I can do now is hope and pray he will stand firm and not surrender that office. General Townsend, I want you to notify Secretary of War Stanton that his offices are ready for him to reoccupy. Tell him I only filled his office ad interim, and that my functions as temporary Secretary of War ceased when I received notice from the Senate last night of their decision that Mr. Stanton still holds his office under the Tenure of Office Act. Uh, take the keys of the office. Do I... Well, uh, General, I have asked you to attend this cabinet meeting this morning in order to ask you some questions. Well, sir, I am no longer the Secretary of War. Mr. Stanton should be here, uh, not me. Was your surrender of the War Department not contrary to our previous understanding, sir? Well, sir, on examining the second and fifth sections of the Tenure of Office Act, I, uh, I found myself unwilling to risk the consequences. A possible five years imprisonment and $10,000 fine. I have advised you not once but several times, sir, that I myself would undertake the whole imprisonment or fine. 
That might be a judge against you. Yes, sir, but until I saw the discussions in the newspapers, I was not aware of the magnitude of the... Then why, if you came to this conclusion, didn't you come to me? As you agreed to. And give me notice of your intentions to quit the office. <clears throat> well, sir, I had expected to see you on Monday, but I had a good many little matters to attend to, and I uh, did not suppose the Senate intended to act so soon. General, someday you hope to be President of the United States. If you ever are, I can only hope that no one ever puts you in the situation that you put me in. Good day, sir. I, I'm, I'm sorry, sir. <clears throat> Good day, sir. Mr. Stanbury, as Attorney General, is it still your opinion that the Tenure of Office Act is unconstitutional? Yes, Mr. President. The right of removal is constitutionally vested in the President. And our only hope of proving this point is if we are able to get it into the courts. Yes, sir. But before you can get it into the courts, you must have a case. I'll have a case, gentlemen. I'll appoint another Secretary of War. General Sherman, I would like you to accept the appointment of Secretary of War. Tell me, how do you feel about it? Well, Mr. President, will you forgive an old friend's advice, sir? Yes, of course, General Sherman. Well, I think if you try to remove Stanton by force, you'll be playing right into the enemy's hands. Why do you say that? Well, take a look at this clipping from the Independent, sir. Oh, perhaps you've seen it already. No, no, I haven't. Mm-hmm. Is the president violate the laws? His fate hangs on his conduct, and if he ventures for an instant into open resistance to the laws, his fate is sealed. Well, well... Now, you can see by the tone of that editorial, sir, that you... Uh, Sherman, it is impossible for me to execute the office of president any longer with Mr. Stanton continuing as secretary of war. In the interests of the army and of the entire country, I ask you to take it over. Mr. President... I'm sorry, but I cannot agree with you on this line of reasoning. And I must regretfully decline the office. Very well, General Sherman. I accept your decision. Uh, Mr. Potts, as chief clerk of the War Department, will you accept the appointment of Secretary of War ad interim? Mr. President, please, for your own sake, give up this plan of removing Mr. Stanton. Mr. Potts, my self-respect demands Stanton's removal. Will you accept the appointment? Mr. President, please, uh, don't put me in such a position. I, very I, well, Mr. Potts, very well. There's nothing further to be said. If you would only think over the Stanton matter, he's a powerful man just now. If you could find it in your heart to... To, to compromise and let him be? Well, sir, it does seem the easier course just now. Mr. Potts, I have always been a great admirer of the philosopher Cato. Are you familiar with his life? He wouldn't compromise with wrong, but being right died before he could yield. I understand, sir. It is the only course I can with honor pursue. I'll find someone to fill the office. I'll find someone... Uh, Mr. Thomas? Uh, yes, Mr. President? Uh, you've been in full charge of the Adjutant General's office. You are therefore very familiar with the workings of the War Department? Yes, Mr. President. Would you temporarily accept the position of Secretary of War ad interim? Yes, Mr. President. Well, thank you, Mr. Thomas. Thank you. 
in the hope that you would, ex- would accept this trust. I, I've had two letters drawn up. This one, which you are to take to the War Department, notifies Mr. Stanton that he is hereby removed from office and that he is to transfer to you all records in public property now in his custody. Yes, Mr. President. Uh, this letter officially informs you of your appointment as temporary Secretary of War. I am honored, Mr. President, and I will obey your orders. Very well, very well. Then proceed immediately to the War Department and deliver this letter into Mr. Stanton's hands. General Thomas, I've read the President's instructions, but I do not know yet whether I'll obey them or resist them. I have orders to take over this office. Before I'll permit you to take over the office, General Thomas, I want to know what the attitude of the Congress is about this matter. She'll send word of this communication to the House of Representatives immediately. We'll see what they have to say about this order. (laughs) Gentlemen, gentlemen of the House of Representatives, The action of the President in regard to Mr. Stanton is a direct violation of the tenure of office law. I would like to enter a resolution that the President of the United States be impeached of high crimes and misdemeanors. just a moment, we'll come back to Edward Arnold and Mr. President. An opportunity to meet the singing stars of the future is afforded you every Sunday afternoon when Metropolitan Opera auditions of the air may be heard over most of these ABC stations. On this unique program, the best young singers in the country compete for contracts with the Metropolitan Opera. Such noted stars as Eleanor Stieber, Patrice Munsell, Robert Merrill, and Leonard Warren first received Metropolitan contracts through their appearances on these broadcasts. The competition is intense for the coveted Met contracts, and preliminary auditions eliminate all but the very best. So the singers you will hear competing each Sunday on the Metropolitan Opera auditions of the air are among the best young voices in America. For a musical experience that is really unique, don't fail to hear the Metropolitan Opera auditions of the air Sunday afternoon over most of these same ABC stations. Now, back to Edward Arnold and Mr. President. You probably guessed the name of the president in the story. Later on, of course, I'll tell you which one it was. Well, sir, there certainly was chaos in Washington. The Senate went into a session. Under the Constitution and the laws, the President has no power to remove the Secretary of War and to designate any other officer to perform the duties of that office. That was the Senate. The House of Representatives was equally charged with indignation. I tell you, the President is nothing better than a usurper, a tyrant, a downright criminal. This action is an outright defiance of Congress and demands impeachment. Yes, Congress was certainly hot under the collar. And all Washington was in a turmoil over the ups and downs, the ifs and the ands, and the pros and cons. Four of the senators hurried to the War Department to tell Stanton not to give an inch. They were for him. Stanton had no intention of giving an inch. I would never forsake the Congress, which has never forsaken me. Charles Sumner sent Stanton a message. United States Senate Honorable Edwin H. Stanton. Stick. Signed, Charles Sumner. (laughs) Gentlemen, this support is more gratifying than I can tell you. I'll hold this office if I have to maintain a state of siege. 
The next day was February the 22nd, Washington's birthday. The radicals in the House thought it would be a fine, dramatic gesture to vote the impeachment of the president on Washington's birthday. During the evening, the new Secretary of War, General Thomas, made some comments to a friend. Tomorrow morning at 10 o'clock, I'm going to take over the War Department. And if Stanton resists, I'll throw him out. If he locks the doors, I'll break him down. Stanton's not going to keep me out, and I hope someone goes to him and tells him I said that. Yes, indeed. All of Washington was in a turmoil. The president calmly went to bed and seemed equally calm the next morning when General Thomas burst into his office. Mr. President, something terrible has happened. What is it, General Thomas? I've been arrested. Arrested? Yes, I was having my breakfast, and they charged in on me right between my cereal and my eggs. I begged them to let me talk to you, and Marshal Gooding finally agreed, as long as he did not lose sight. Me. He's in the outer office now. I've been arrested, Mr. President. That's good. That's fine, General Thomas. Congratulations. Well, congratulations? Did you understand what I said, sir? Indeed I did. Did I understand what you said? Of course. Tell me, who issued the warrant for your arrest? Chief Justice David Carter, at the request of Mr. Stanton. Oh, that's splendid. He did exactly what I hoped he would do. Now the case will go to the courts. Well, what am I to do? Oh, you'll be all right, General. Tell Marshal Gooding to take you to Attorney General Stanbury's office immediately. He'll tell you what to do. Yes, sir. Thank you, sir. Don't mention it. Oh, good morning, General Thomas. Oh, good morning, Madam President. Isn't it all terrible? Terrible, terrible. terrible. My, what a morning. Yes, things are really beginning to happen now. I just received a message from Secretary Wells. He asked me to tell you that last night his son was at a party, and while he was there... An order came that all officers under General Emery were to report to headquarters. He wondered if the orders came from you. No, the orders did not come from me. I wonder what that means. No one has a right to move troops without my knowledge. I understand that Mr. Stanton has turned his offices into a regular fortress. He has guards all around it. He's not running any risk of losing possession. Oh, General Emery gave the order, did he? Well, I shall send for General Emery immediately. General Emery, I am informed the troops have been receiving instructions without my knowledge. I would like to know what your orders of last night meant. Sir, the orders came through the General of the Army. Uh, How is it they were not reported first to me? Well, sir, on March 14, 1867, a general order of the War Department was issued containing a congressional ruling that all orders and instructions relating to military operations issued by the President or the Secretary of War shall be issued through the General of the Army. May I see that ruling, General Emery? Yes, sir. Here it is. Uh General, this is not in accordance with the Constitution of the United States which makes me commander-in-chief of the Army and the Navy. Well, sir, all we can do is to obey the letter of the law. Am I to understand that I can't give an order except through the general of the Army? That seems to be the opinion, sir. This is beyond belief, General Emery. What kind of a fool is everyone trying to make out of the President of the United States? Mr. President? Yes, Mr. Attorney General. I'm sorry, sir, but I'm afraid I'm the bearer of bad news. What is it, Stanbury? Word was just sent to the Senate that the House of Representatives has passed the resolution of your impeachment. There is no chance now of getting this case into the courts. So, it now says in the House records the people of the United States have impeached me for high crimes and misdemeanors. The Senate, of course, will now draft rules for your trial. I, uh, I hope you'll give me the honor of representing you, sir. Thank you, Stanbury. That's very good of you. Nana, sir.
Mr. Stanbury is overdue, isn't he? Well, with the last-minute details to take care of, that's understandable. One of the lawyers assisting Mr. Stanbury told me that the radicals are still trying to get some of your cabinet to turn on you. Well, they've tried everything, haven't they? Anyhow, they went to Mr. Seward and told him that if he would support them instead of you, they would see that he remained in the State Department. Mr. Stewart said, the impeachment of the president is the impeachment of his cabinet. God bless him. Come in. Good evening. Oh, at last. We were getting worried, Mr. Stanbury. I was held up by some last-minute information. Mr. President, you received my resignation as Attorney General. Yes, of course. All right, sir. I am now acting solely in the capacity of counsel for the defendant. You are now in the hands of your lawyers who will speak and act for you. I'm referring particularly to the newspapers. I understand. Oh, I should like to be there tomorrow to face my accuser. You know, it galls me to have to remain here. It's much more to your advantage to stay away, Mr. President. Well, it's in your hands. They've added one more article to the charges, which is in substance merely a summing up of the other charges. They're claiming that your speech of August 18th was a denial of the constitutionality of Congress. Oh, really? Well, what did I say then? You said, my dear, that Congress was a body hanging on the verge of government. I did? You certainly did. Well, by the Lord Harry, I still say it. Well, keep it within these walls. Oh, uh, Chief Justice Chase is to be the presiding officer. Well, we're certain of justice from him. He's a very fine man. I think that's about all I have to say at this time, Mr. President. Uh, except this. When some things are done, we cannot tell if they be for good or evil. This gives you a great opportunity to vindicate yourself as president against every charge made against you. Not only before the American people, but before the entire world. And to show whether, when contrasted with theirs, your policy is not the policy of wisdom. Mr. President, I've watched you day and night. I've been by you on every manner of subject. And I have seen nothing which, had I been in your place, I would not have done myself. Sir, as you know, my health is not of the best. But if I can keep well for this trial, I'll be willing to be sick for the balance of my life. I know, Mr. President, that you'll come out of it brighter than you've ever shown. Mr. Stanbury, I thank you for those wonderful words. President of the United States, President of the United States, appear and answer the articles of impeachment exhibited against you by the House of Representatives of the United States. Mr. Chief Justice... My brothers Curtis and Nelson and myself are here this morning as counsel for the president. I have his authority to enter his appearance, which with your leave I will proceed to Are you in here, my dear? Yes, yes. Well, why are you sitting here without any lights? This won't do at all. There. Isn't that better? Yes, thank you, my dear. You know, I was just thinking... A man does his best, and either his best is good enough, or it isn't. I have the misfortune to step into a dead man's chair. It isn't as though I were an elected president and the people were with me. They never wanted me, my dear, and they never will. You're discouraged about the way the trial is going. Well, you might as well start to pack Eliza. It doesn't matter anymore. They don't want me, and that's the end of it. My dear, do you see what I have in my hands? Yes, letters, telegrams. I can imagine what they say. Can you? Listen. This is from Ohio. The hostility you are meeting from many of our representatives leaves us, the people, no other way but to approach you personally 
and assure you of our sympathy and approbation. My dear, may I, may I see that? Here's one from Indiana. If you require brave hearts and stout arms to aid you, give the word, and the friends of liberty and union will respond. Here's one from Philadelphia that says, the people are with you, peaceful or forceful, with ballots or bullets for the maintenance of the Constitution and the law. This one says, stand firm and the people will sustain you. These, my dear, and thousands like them are from the people whom you say do not want you. You know, Eliza, I feel more grateful and more humble than I could ever possibly tell you. You could lead an uprising uh, if you desire. That isn't the answer, my dear. I don't want to defend the National Charter by breaking it. The procedure of impeachment is legal. It's the correct way of going about this. We'll wait for the judgment. It doesn't matter so much now, Eliza. I won't mind the judgment of the Senate so much now that I know that the people are saying things. when called upon whether the respondent, the President of the United States, is guilty or not guilty of a high misdemeanor as charged in this article. Mr. President, Mr. President. What is it, Stanbury? What is it? It's acquittal. Acquittal? They've acquitted you, acquitted you. Oh, my dear, I knew it would be acquittal. I knew it would be acquittal. It's acquittal. They voted acquittal. Stanton's moving out of the War Department. You've won, Mr. President. You've won. Listen to the people out in the street. Listen to them cheering for you. God be praised. God be praised. Well, you've probably figured out by now who I was when all that happened. It really did happen, you know, and you'll have the answer in just a moment. Out of the past come stories powerful in their concept, dramatic in their scope. This year, the American Broadcasting Company is again proud to present the greatest story ever told every Sunday. You'll hear dramas that happened over 2,000 years ago. Dramas of pomp and glory, of kings and slaves, and especially of one man whose voice was heard above the crowd. Who is this man with strange and miraculous powers? A man whose effect was to be felt everywhere? Some called him friend. His enemies feared him. But his life has been read and studied by all for centuries. Hear about this man whom many call the master on the greatest story ever told when it's brought to you every Sunday over most of these same ABC stations. Now, here again is Edward Arnold. You know, it's very gratifying to know that I have at last some dignity in this office and the assurance of the goodwill of the nation. You know, Eliza, I followed a great man. You followed Mr. Lincoln's policy completely. I don't believe he himself could have done a whit better. Well, I've done my best, and I shall continue to do my best. Oh, my dear, I'm so proud to be able to say, not that I am the wife of the President of the United States but that I'm able to say I am the wife of Andrew Johnson. (laughs) 
Yes, it was Andrew Johnson who escaped impeachment in the Senate by one vote. The general who was Secretary of War at interim was General Grant, who was later elected President of the United States. And Grant had not been in office two weeks before he asked Congress to repeal the Tenure of Office Act, and on April the 5th, 1869, it was removed. Be with us again next week, won't you, for another exciting story that happened in Washington a few years ago to Mr. President. Goodbye. by arrangement with Metro-Goldwyn-Mayer, the producers of the Technicolor picture The Three Musketeers, starring Lana Turner, Gene Kelly, and June Allison. <laughs> Mr. President was created by Robert G. Jennings. It was produced and directed by Leonard Reed. This story by Gene Holloway was based on incidents in the life of President Andrew Johnson. Music was composed by Basil Adler. Be sure to listen again next week when the American Broadcasting Company and its affiliated stations bring you Edward Arnold with another interesting and factual story of Mr. President. This is ABC, the American Broadcasting Company.